Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Blair Glencourse. He's the founder and executive director at Accountability Lab. Blair, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you're doing is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yes, I'm from the, the UK, as you can probably hear. Sure, uh, I grew cool. up. Over, the, over over there, um, and uh, and then went to uh, Zimbabwe when I was about eighteen for a while, and that's where I really got into the kind of work that I'm doing now. Saw saw a lot of uh, very different things, and and um, got interested in in political change and how economies develop. Um, so came to the U.S. to graduate school. Um, which is how I ended up in DC, uh, and now I'm working globally on these things. Okay, so let's step back for a second. What made you go to Zimbabwe? Um, I think I, I wanted to, you know, at that age, see what what it was like in different parts of the world. Sure. We had some connections and friends in that in that part of of Africa. So so went over there and was teaching in a school for for a year. Okay. So um, yeah, so it was fantastic. I mean. A, a wonderful country. It's a pity what's happened to it since since then, but um, but still a great place to visit. I got you. Very cool. So you took or you went to university. What did you take and why? Uh, in undergrad, I took history um, okay. because I wanted to I wanted to understand um, the present through through looking at the past i suppose i wanted to know how we could learn lessons from the past and and use those to to help improve improve the world and, and the present um okay. and then based on on that and my experience in in zimbabwe went to graduate school to study international relations and economics to okay. to again get, get a better sense of of how the world works and and um and think through development specifically and and how we might be able to support or um, uh, precipitate political change in different parts of the world in, in ways that can make decision-making more inclusive and more fair for, for everyone. Okay, very cool. So walk me through your career kind of up until Accountability Lab. Well, once I graduated from graduate school, I went to work for the World Bank in okay. Washington, D.C., okay. um, uh, and they have a team there that focuses on post-conflict and, and fragile countries, the countries that, that tend to be at the bottom of, of many of the development indicators and have suffered from, from war or other difficult challenges. Um, so I became very interested in those kinds of, of situations and worked there on those at the World Bank for several years. Um, during that work, I met the now president of Afghanistan, who's called okay. Ashraf Ghani. Interesting. Um, and he was previously the finance minister of Afghanistan, and at that point was setting up a think tank in DC to look at these issues. So I joined him and helped him 
set that up and worked with him for about five years, wow. um, which was, yeah, fascinating. Learned a huge amount about all of this stuff uh, and came to the conclusion that accountability is really what what it's all about. Unless we can make governments be more accountable to citizens and make sure that people in power are responsible for for their decisions, then we're not going to be able to deal with all of the other problems that we face globally. So about seven years ago, set up uh, the current organization that I run, uh, which is called the Accountability Lab, which is trying to do exactly that. We're trying to find creative ways, particularly with young people, to make governments more accountable, to fight corruption, improve transparency, and, and support citizen engagement around these kinds of issues. Okay. But what made you ultimately decide to f- uh, actually start Accountability Lab? Um, it it happened, the, the realization that it was needed happened over time, but um, I remember one incident in particular where I was in uh, Nepal, uh, down okay. in the south of, of Nepal, and sandwiched between India and, and China, and down there it's very hot and dusty, and there were uh, a lot of young people that we were talking to about what they what they wanted, okay. and it's a, it's a very poor part of the world. They, I was expecting them to say, we want education, we want better schools, we want you know, clean water, all of the sorts of things that they didn't necessarily have. And actually what they said to me was, what we want is people in power to be more accountable, we want justice, we want less corruption, because we know that those are actually the causes of all of these other problems. Until we get those things fixed, we're not going to get education, we're not going to get water. So that's what we want. Um, and you know, it began a process where I talked about this with a lot of people while I was at the World Bank and afterwards and was, you know, in different places. And, and this was a common theme. It's, it's actually the core of everything else. And unless we can deal with this issue, we, we can't fix education, we can't fix healthcare or, or anything else. So, so that is one piece of it. And then the other is, of course, the, the youth bit. Um, of course, demographically, young people represent more than 50% of the global population at this point. They're, they're more dynamic, they're more connected than ever before. And I would argue more willing to challenge the status quo that exists. Um, but they don't always have the support that they need. They often have good ideas, but, but have very, very few ways to connect um, those ideas with the relevant funding or the relevant networks to really push them in, in a way that can make them effective. And so that is the, is the niche that, that my organization, the Accountability Lab, fills by finding these good young people with amazing ideas and helping them develop them in different ways and then to push for, for the kind of change that they want to see. Interesting. Okay. So how do you guys actually go about working with these leaders and citizens around the world to actually drive change? Well, we do a few things, I think, that are, that are a bit different to many organizations. And one is we make this this stuff really positive. Okay. It is, of course, e- easy to get really negative about sure. everything going wrong and, and all of the challenges that we face. And that doesn't fill anyone, particularly young people, with much hope. Right. So we've, we try to, to flip the narrative. Um, so, for example, corruption, very negative topic. It's, it's all about the problem. It's all right. about the wrongdoers. Um, and we... Um, Instead, said, okay, let's let's make it positive. And we started a TV show called Integrity Idol. Okay, interesting. Um, so, you know, definitely playing on the idea of, of American Idol or these, you know, these mass uh, media popular TV shows that are about people auditioning. Um, but this one is for, for government officials. Okay. Uh, and it's for the most honest government officials. And uh, so that's sort of the second piece, I think, that we do that's a bit different. We try and tap into... 
popular culture and into um, media and, and tools that young people are interested in and that they use, um, and then feed the message into that in a way that they find entertaining and engaging. So Integrity Idol has grown now. It's a TV show in, in eight countries. Wow. People nominate honest government officials. They vote for their favorites. Uh, we've had millions of people watching it, hundreds and hundreds of thousands voting. Um, and it creates a really interesting, positive conversation about the role models and the people that we want to see rather than the bad guys and, and the corrupt officials, which I think is a, an important part of, of changing things. Sure. So how do you validate that these government officials are actually trying to be honest and and have integrity because that's got to be really challenging it's hard but we we take it really seriously because okay. of course if if one of them didn't have integrity and we were celebrating them that would be, sure. be a big problem uh so we now have an eight-step process uh okay whereby citizens nominate um these people, they have to give references. They have to give a certain amount of information. Um, we we have a team that that really goes in deep on this, um, checks references, goes to see them, visits their offices, visits their families. We do online checks. We coordinate with government agencies to get employment uh, records, all of that kind of stuff, and really um, get in there and do and do this deeply. And when we started this, people, you know, particularly in some of the countries that we work said, oh, you're never going to find honest government officials. You know, corruption is so ubiquitous that, that this isn't possible. But actually, there are there are lots and lots of them. Um, and, you know, they, they exist everywhere and they're doing amazing things and fighting back against really entrenched systems um, in amazing ways. And, and so those are the people that we've identified and that we've that we've brought through. And there are some fantastic stories about about some of them. And it's it's really inspirational to see what they're doing, even against all the odds. No, very cool. So. I'm curious, and maybe this is kind of a stupid question. So these government officials get on um, Integrity Idol. What happens, like walk us through the process of the show and and how does it play out and, and what do they win? Like ultimately they probably want publicity to get elected, but walk us through that whole kind of process and the, and the show and, and what what's the outcome? Yeah, so actually Integrity Idol is, is just for civil servants, okay. uh, not elected officials, because, okay. because we didn't we didn't want it to get corrupted in that way where people who are up for election might try and use it to, to push their ah, own agenda. Okay. Yeah, so these are these are career bureaucrats. Gotcha. Um, but you know, are a central part of, of government systems and, and make things function and need to be clean and, and honest. Um, so what we do is is ask anyone in, in the countries in which we work to nominate one of these people if they know one okay. and we have a two or three month two or three month period where they can do that they can nominate online they can do it through paper forms that we hand out at government offices and at tea shops and cafes and all sorts of places um, and we get you know between hundreds and up to sort of five or six thousand nominations in, in wow. some places wow um, and as I said we then go through a, a fairly rigorous process of, of checking these candidates, we get it down to about 30. Okay. Um, and then we, we have a panel of judges who okay. are objective, uh, well-known within those countries um, for their transparency and honesty, who help us get it down to the top five. Uh, and then we film those, those five doing their jobs um, with their families, in their offices, talking about why integrity is important. Um, we get testimonials, all of that kind of thing. And then those episodes go on 
on national television and radio in these countries, and we link it to a voting process by SMS or, or WhatsApp or online where people okay. can vote for their favorites. Oh, so they watch the videos and, uh, and vote. Um, and that voting period is about two weeks long. Okay. And then we have a big national ceremony where we invite everyone and we've had, you know, prime ministers and heads of state and government ministers and, you know, heads of big businesses and everyone in the room. And, and we celebrate these public people publicly with, with the media there too, of course. Uh, and, and we name and fame them as we call it, rather than naming and shaming the bad guys. We, we name uh. and fame these good guys. Um, and that gives them an amazing amount of trust and credibility that they can use to then really push for integrity within, within their organizations and within their agencies. And, and they don't get, uh, any money, you know, that we're trying to get away from, from money being the incentive, of course, they just uh, get the, okay. the glory, the honor of being integrity idols, um, and, a, and a trophy. Uh, but we do then work with them quite intensively, uh, individually and as a group to, as I said, sort of push for integrity within their institutions. And we try and find ways to, to help them access training uh, and opportunities and, and ways to to continue to to create this kind of change. No, very cool, man. That's that's really cool. So I, I'm curious, though, have you thought about bringing some of this to North America? Because I think a lot of people have there's probably a ton of people that they would like to nominate in North America and some people are happy and, or, and completely unhappy and everywhere in between with the current government situation in, in North America and beyond. Have you thought about doing that? Uh, yes. Um, we would love to do it in the U S and actually recently there's a, uh, a newspaper, an online newspaper in Philadelphia called the okay. Philadelphia citizen, okay. which has a, has a column called the fix, which is all about, um, sort of government fixes and ways to improve society from around the world. And, and they heard about Integrity Idol and brought us onto their radio show, which was amazing. Cool. Um, and, uh, and so that's led to a whole series of conversations about whether we could do Integrity Idol in, at the subnational level in a particular city, uh, i.e. Philadelphia. So that conversation is underway. So you never know. But Very cool. It would be great, it would be great to do it in the US, absolutely. And, because these are problems everywhere. I mean, there's corruption... In all countries, it's not something that, that is only part of uh, the lives of people in, in the developing world. Sure. So uh, you mentioned something to me that's that's really interesting. Um, there's You guys are doing a bunch of things with the Nigerian elections and musicians. Do you want to talk about what exactly you're doing with that? Because I think it's really cool. Yes. So elections are coming up in Nigeria. Nigeria is a very big strategic uh, place um, okay. and democracy, of course, is a is a key piece of accountability. People need to you know to find their voices through their vote and and push for the kind of government that they want. So we're trying to get young people in Nigeria to to vote. And again, the way that we're looking at that is is how do we tap into things that they're already interested in and then bring in this issue of of accountability or participation. And music is is very big in Nigeria as a huge music industry. Okay. Um, so our team there have come up with a campaign called. Uh, voice to rep so you know find your voice to be represented oh, um, okay. where we we opened up a competition nationally and said any first time musician submit a demo to us um, through our social media uh, accounts or on the website of you uh, singing a song about participation or democracy and we'll pick the top 10 uh, and we partnered with the biggest music platform in Nigeria which is called Chocolate City Very cool. um, and it's 
and have taken the top 10 this week, actually, to Lagos, the capital, to be mentored by big people in the music industry, some of the biggest stars who are helping them develop their songs. There's going to be a whole um, selection process, a bit like The Voice, where, where some of the, the big people in the industry take on some of these, these up-and-coming stars um, and then professionally record their songs, develop the lyrics around these, these issues. And then we're going to do a series of concerts around Nigeria and invite young people everywhere to come and, of course, listen to the songs again, vote, have live voting for their favorites and use this as a way to create the conversation and get people out to vote later on in the elections. No, that's that's very cool, man. So I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on something uh, like just selfishly, even thinking back. I'm 35 now, just so you have some context. But uh, thinking back to when I was in my late teens or early 20s, you think you have ideas on how to change things for the better. And how do you find, though, or at least for me, I found that as I've kind of aged, you, you kind of decide whether you want to keep trying to change things for the better I or conform to what's ever happening in your geographic location, for better or worse, or you try to be kind of a rebel inside the system. What are your thoughts on how you see that kind of play out from, from up and coming young people? Do you find that they try and then get jaded and just kind of try to conform? Or is it somewhere in the middle? Do you think they keep at it or, or what do you kind of see the generations coming up? Uh, kind of, how are they kind of adopting as they get older and, and start working full time and, actually maybe start working for some of these big organizations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think young people today, as I mentioned, are, are more sort of engaged, more connected than they've ever been, I think, globally, sure. and, and have the ability to see the way things are in other places in, in a way that, you know, even you or I, when we were growing up, didn't didn't have the ability to do. So there's, totally. you know, there's, a, there's a relative perspective there and that that is combined with with you know continued and growing inequality and and deep poverty and and you know a lot that they are angry about and and there's no wonder that that many of them don't feel like they really have a stake in the political and economic systems that exist you know they're they're alienated from those systems they don't see any way of of making it up within those systems uh, and and so there's not that much for them to lose if they if they try and overthrow them um, which is, you know, which is why why we sometimes see violence. You know, that's that's I think a large part of where terrorism comes from. Um, it, you know, we have to engage young people collectively and give them a stake in this system. So this isn't, you know, what we're trying to do is not at all about about revolution. It's about maintaining the current systems, but improving them and giving everyone gotcha. staking them and, and making sure that their voices are are heard. And and I think that's that's what they want. And if you talk to them. That's that's what they'll they'll say, you know, and and I don't um, hold it against anyone who who says, listen, this is too difficult. I'm just going to take you know a job in the system, and I know there's inequalities and problems, but I need to sort of look after myself. I think that's a perfectly natural way of of thinking. Um, but the people that we're targeting and really bringing in, and the ones that we work with the most closely, are the ones who are committed to to changing things and saying, listen, I don't care what the personal cost is. I want to see things different uh, and I want to make them different and and I'm going to just push to do that even if it's you know it, it costs me financially or, or physically in some cases um, and those are the you know the real change makers that that I think can help us really 
evolve things in the right direction. So they're the ones that are inspiring and the ones that we're really trying to bring together and to network and to push forward. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. I also think too, and, and kind of why I asked the question is it seems to me that there's a lot more people in all parts of the world like yourself that are trying to make a change maybe in their local region or well and or in other countries across the globe right and i think the the crazy thing about the internet and the some of the coolest stuff about the internet in my opinion is the ability to talk to and build a business or company with with some sort of charitable or global impact from a completely different part of the world right like i think if you mentioned to me you're in india right now is that correct uh i'm in pakistan pakistan okay sorry um but i'm in canada right now and we're recording this and without the internet you and i probably would have never met never mind recording right now and so the fact that we can do stuff globally without even being in on the same continent now. And you and I could build a business based on being located in totally different parts of the world is really quite fascinating. And it seems to me that a lot of young people are are really taking advantage of that. Right. And maybe they're, maybe they've never even been to the countries that they're trying to make a difference in, but through their business model, they're giving back to these communities. Have you found that? Absolutely. I mean, I think technology has you know, played a massive role in, in connecting people and making the world smaller in many ways. And, uh, and yeah, people can, can talk and, and collaborate now in ways that were you know, unfeasible even five or ten years ago. Um, and we have at the Accountability Lab I mean, amazing local teams in all of the countries that we work who are you know, local student leaders and activists and people with great ideas. And it's one of the best things for me is to see the way that they collaborate across countries and are really making this into a global global movement. Um, because because in the end, you know, that's, I think, what it what it needs to be. And, and they share ideas and learn from each other. And it's it's great. And I, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's I think something that, that now is, is only going to continue and, and can help improve lives dramatically. Very cool. So I want to cover a couple of the other programs that you guys do. I, I know your applications for your accountability incubator are, are closed now, but I, I'm curious to know what exactly is that and how, and how have you guys kind of run the incubator uh, for the last little while? Yeah, so if you, if you imagine a business incubator, um, for entrepreneurs, for example, sure. Um, and then and then change that a bit, and, and think about what that would look like for people who are trying to change the systems that we're talking about, governments and civic civic systems and, and ways of operating. Then that's that's what we're trying to do with our with our incubator. So we we have an application process. Um, anyone in the countries that we work can apply with a good idea, and and the incubator provides them with training and mentorship and communication support and access to net networks and funding to grow those ideas over time and, and build the communities around them to make them successful. Um, okay. So uh, it's great. I mean, we have, you know, it's not huge. We have maybe five or 10 people in each country every year, uh, but they're some of the most creative 
creative people uh, around. They've they've developed film schools around this stuff. They do interactive theater. They've created wiki tools online to crowdsource cool. information on government services. Uh, they've been doing all, all sorts of different stuff. Um, and and so those ideas grow and, and you know, become tools that these these people can use to, to push for change. Very cool. So how do you guys make money and, and actually monetize uh, Accountability Lab? So we're a nonprofit organization. Okay. That's what uh, I thought. So we get... Yeah, we get grants from from governments and foundations, and we get some some donations from individuals. Uh, okay. But but we're also earning earning income in in a few different ways. And one is um, we've set up co working and innovation spaces in many of the countries that we work. Oh, interesting. Um, again, specifically for for kind of civic change makers um, who who often don't always have a place to to work or a decent internet connection or access to facilities that we can provide. So we. We provide those and, and charge a small amount that we that we subsidize to to bring in a bit of revenue and to get these people people going and, and connecting with each other. Um, and now we're getting as we grow into sort of other other ways of raising money. So, for example, the Integrity Idol campaign that I mentioned, we've now codified and we're licensing it to other organisations in different countries to to run themselves, and then they pay us a license fee. Got you. Um, so we're yeah we're getting getting into some different more sustainable revenue streams too which is great okay interesting so i'm curious then where do you guys kind of take this over the next few years because there's a ton of countries globally that could use probably everything you guys do but what other ideas do you guys have over the coming years because i i think it you could almost take this anywhere right yeah and then there's there's lots of demand sadly um uh we get emails you know almost every week from someone in a different country saying hey can you come and build an accountability lab in my country or can i help set one up which is which is amazing so we are the first thing we're doing as i mentioned is kind of codifying what we do and creating handbooks and and then trying to support other other people around the world to do to do what we're doing and, and franchise things in that kind of way which is which is one piece of it. Um, so, so one thing we want to do is, is sort of go broader, go to more places. Um, the other is, is go deeper in the places we're already working. And one, one big piece of that is um, working more with, with governments. Most of what we've done, as I have explained, is, is with sort of civil society activists and students and young people. Um, but, but I think we've realized that, that we really need to work with people within government as well through through our integrity idol campaign um, but also more broadly to to help them innovate within government systems in different different ways so that's a big piece of what we're beginning to look at and, and building out in different different places too and I and I think there's there's a lot of room for this over the next five or ten ten years finding new different partnerships between government and citizens but also with with media and with the private sector and and others to to kind of find find how we can we can create maximum impact around all of this. No, it makes total sense. So you have another program called Citizen Help Desk. What exactly is that and how are you guys a part of that? The Citizen Help Desk started in Nepal actually okay. uh, nearly four years ago. You may remember there was a big big earthquake in Nepal yep. Yep. in, in 20, 2015 and we are not a humanitarian uh, organization and we okay. don't don't provide relief. Okay. But what we what we did have was networks of young people in all of the worst affected 
areas of Nepal. And, and so we said, well, let's mobilize them to, to collect information from people on what they need to inform the response. So that's, that's what they did. They, they went out that same day and said to people, you know, what's happened? What do you need? Um, gathered that information, fed it up to the government and to the international community. And then when decisions were made, fed those the information about those decisions back down to communities. So it created this kind of feedback loop, which was really important um, and actually is something that doesn't often happen in these kinds of uh, situations because everything is is a crisis and it's it's a bit disorganized. So um, so that became what we call the citizen help desks, which are not physical desks. It was group, groups of young people who would be in communities collecting information and feeding that back um, to inform and improve the way that aid was was given. So that that is continuing in Nepal. It's shifted now towards other issues like um, migration. So there's big issues of accountability around migration in, in Nepal. So they're gathering information on that and helping to inform communities about how the process works. Um, and then also on, on public services like health and education. Um, in Liberia, we've started citizen help desks around uh, the management of natural resources. Okay. So, for example, there's some some gold mining communities there, and often citizens in those areas don't don't always understand what the uh, the companies, the concession companies, have to provide. Um, you know why some of the problems aren't being fixed. So they're working again to create feedback loops around that. Um, and then we've started it even in in Mali, where there's a uh, a, a insurgency going on in the middle and the north of the country uh, in those places with young people to gather uh, information on trust and justice issues and security issues and using that to inform, for example, the um, the UN peacekeeping mission and even the International Criminal Court um, to help them get a sense of, of what's happening. And, and it works because it's it's really local. You know, these these young people are connected within their communities, they're trusted, they're from these places, so the security uh, issues for them are to some extent internalized. You know, they're able to move gotcha. around in ways that, that others just can't. Uh, um, okay. And we and we've set up a system that's simple and, and easy and, and can gather this information quickly. So we can really inform people in real time what's going on in places that they can't get to. And that that's quite valuable in, in some of these, you know, remote or insecure parts of the world. Sure. So you guys work in a handful of countries, but is there anything that majority of people listening to this show will be in in America? Is there anything that Americans can do or or people from other parts of the world that could do to actually get on board and and support what accountability lab is doing because I think, you guys have some really cool stuff, and there's probably a lot of people that listen to the show that have friends and family in the countries that you guys do so much of your work in. Yeah, and and we would, you know, always love to hear from from people. I think there's a few different things they can do. One is, you know, we love feedback. If they have any ideas okay. um, about what we do, any ways we can improve, you know, we would we would love that. Uh, like you said, if they have networks in the places that we work or even at other places where they think this might might be necessary, we'd love to be in touch. You know, I agree with you. Diaspora communities um, are, are really, really key and, and we engage with them in lots of different ways in the places that we operate. So we'd love to be in touch with with them, too. Um, they can you know, share our stuff on, on social media. A big piece of what we're up to, as I mentioned, is popularizing this and getting people talking about it. 
Um, so they can visit our website, which is accountabilitylab.org, um, or at Account Lab on Twitter, or Accountability Lab on Facebook, uh, and and so on, and, and push this stuff out. Um, and then again, you know, as I mentioned, we are a, a non-profit organization, and if, if they feel the urge, they're, they're more than welcome to, to visit our website and, and donate to the cause too, because I think, as I've explained, it's a really, really important one, and, and we'd love the support. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious, though, I, I know there's a bunch of startups that are doing a handful of things um, where they either maybe bring certain goods uh, maybe into America and, and then use those to manufacture something and then they they sell it as a as a product and then they give some of the process or profits sorry back to the country where maybe the fabric or something that came from and they actually try to help out local people in those countries maybe become like a, a mini kind of business or or maybe like a sole proprietor business is have you guys ever thought about trying to team up with startups like that or or what are your thoughts on that because i i think there you guys are in these countries meeting these types of people and there's probably a lot of companies in america or startups that could really partner with some of the people you, and companies you meet all the time or, or what's your thoughts on that yeah i mean um, there are a lot of uh social enterprises who are doing the kind of thing that that you're talking about working with uh, artisans for example or, or yeah. entrepreneurs in developing countries to to help them gain access to markets like the us and and other places and that's that's really important you know the, the job creation piece of things is is really key in places where i mentioned where young people often don't really feel like they have a stake or an opportunity um and this this can give that to them um so it's yeah, it's, it's really key. And, and we know lots of these people and, and talk to them and share ideas. I mean, the stuff that we're doing is is very much related. It's more, as we've discussed, sort of on the you know political and, and civic okay. activism side. But right. but even through our, through our incubator, for example, there are some awesome for-profit organizations that are looking at accountability, um, but from a for-profit perspective. Um, gotcha. So, for example, there's a, a young woman here in Pakistan who started a, uh, a website that um, helps people rank and select doctors in Pakistan, and oh, very cool. and that's that's important because there isn't there isn't a system where people can really see you know which doctor is better than than another, book appointments, all of that kind of stuff. The sort of thing that we might take for granted in the U.S. or, or you know in Europe. Um, sure. So she she set that up, and and now we're sort of trying to help her connect to to funders and investors in the U.S. And she's she's over in D.C. at the moment talking to a few people. So. Um, we definitely work with with people that have great ideas like that too, and and often there's an accountability component um, of of what they do, which is which is fantastic. No, very cool, man. But we're we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So, do you want to close with mentioning where people can get more information about Accountability Lab and and check out uh, Integrity Idol and uh, the upcoming uh, music program that you guys are doing? Uh, voice to rep absolutely uh, the website is www.accountabilitylab.org um, integrity idol has its own separate website uh, which is www.integrityidol.org 
uh, and uh, as does the the voice to rep campaign in Nigeria, which is www.voice uh, and then number two rep uh, ng. Um, we're we're all over social media. Check us out um, and uh, and be in touch with me too. My email is just Blair at accountabilitylab.org. Would love to to chat to anyone that's interested. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time under your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.